Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Chip Frederick will join us as we will talk Commodore baseball. Today's news presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk. A Nashville-based injury law firm, Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at SB Injury Law, and please tell them you heard about them on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Well, there was good news in Oxford for Vanderbilt, and there was bad news. The bad news is the Commodores lose two games to one to Ole Miss. The good news, the lineup really struck the ball well. Seven different guys did home runs in Oxford, and most of all, Jack Leiter was terrific. Looked like the old Jack Leiter. We'll touch on that a little bit in today's show. Chip appears on the guest line. That's presented by our friends at Bowling Branch. I have slept on Bowling Branch sheets practically every night for the last seven years. And the nights I have not, I have noticed the difference. Bowling Branch sheets are made of 100% organic rain-fed cotton. I can't tell you why that makes a difference, but I can tell you it does because I feel it in the way those sheets feel against my skin every time I sleep on them. I sleep more comfortably than I've ever slept. Try them yourself. You can try them risk-free for 30 days, after which you can return them if you don't like them. But I'm telling you, that's not going to be an issue. You're going to love them, and you're going to thank me for them. Try them today. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That is B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Chip Frederick joins us on a Monday morning. Chip, it was an interesting weekend of baseball across the league. Really interesting series in Oxford where the Commodores fall 2-1. to one. And depending on your perspective, either things are looking really good from here forward or it's totally time to panic. <laughs> Right, and it's just the up-and-down world of the Southeastern Conference uh, season in this league. And, Chris, if you'd talked to somebody Friday night and got assessed their attitude who was a Vanderbilt fan and then you followed it up and they're talking trash on Saturday night after the big offensive explosion with all the uh, home runs and just, you know, everything's going great. And then yesterday the sky is falling once again. It, it's just uh, – you know, you can you can look at the three games, Chris, individually, uh, and we we can just in a synopsis. But on Friday night, I thought, you know, we talked several weeks ago, eight, nine, ten weeks ago, when we were starting all this, that there were going to be games in which Rocker or Lighter were going to pitch pretty well, and this team was going to lose one nothing, two to one, two to nothing, and that's what happened on Friday night. I mean, the, you know, Ole Miss, what they put out there is from a kid who, who, although he won't get it, I mean, he's going to get some looks as far as some pitch, pitcher of the year candidate. And he's just done it all year. And Nikhazy, and you followed up with Broadway to close it out. And it's just, you know, you look at Rocker's line, wasn't a horrible night. Although I still say, that his body language and and it just, he, he hasn't been as fired up and maybe that's not what he wants to be since the UT series. But when you say he strikes out eight, walks one, and gives up five hits and he loses, you know that's going to happen sometimes. And we talked about that that with this team and the the makeup and how young they are and you're going to run into some buzzsaws on Friday night and that's what happened. The Saturday game, 
13 to two, everything's great. We're hitting balls out of the park. We're, you know, stomping on the plate and we look like we got our swagger back and things are just going to be, you know, hunky dory. We're going to go there on Sunday and take the series. And that's not what happened. Although it started that way, you felt pretty good uh, for game three, but you would think that this team scoring 10 runs in a game in the Southeastern Conference would be able to win a game, and it didn't. At, at times, it had some reminiscent, like, boy, this is going to be like the SEC tournament win over Ole Miss when we climbed back and, and won it all in the, in, the, in the last inning on the walk-off. But Ole Miss is Ole Miss, Chris. They, they've been the same, and a buddy of mine who lives in Memphis and I played with, we talked about this this weekend. Ole Miss for the last 15 years under Bianco, they're going to hit the ball. They're going to like crazy. They're going to mash. They're going to hit balls off the fence. They're going to talk trash. They're going to have some swagger. Their fans are going to be into it. And, and they haven't changed. They're going to pitch a little bit, but pitching's not going to be their dominant thing. And when you go out there on Sunday and Riley just didn't have it. And Hunter Owens certainly didn't have it. And, and when you get behind in this league, it's hard to catch up, especially on the wild and crazy Sunday games that happen in this league. You know, for the people who are sitting there and saying, well, the world's coming to an end, you know, they, they pick apart every win and loss that happens. It's just the nature, I guess, and you've mentioned to me before, it's almost a, a college football mentality in a baseball league. And, and as far as using the parallel there that they treat it like it's a, a, a football situation where if you lose a game, the world's coming in. I mean, the Los Angeles Dodgers last year went 43 and 17. I know it was a COVID shortened season. They lost 17 games and they won the world title. Baseball is a game where you're going to run into some, and some buzz saws and you're going to lose some games and you're going to drive yourself nuts. If you sit there and hang on every win and loss. Now I will say this about it. There are warning signs and there have been warning signs for this team as far as not having a, a person in that number three role. And we've talked about it. So I guess it's a little different in the fact that, you know, the Dodgers or people who've won the world title before, you know, they um, to back my theory up, you're going to lose some games. And, you know, there are, however, some things about this team, some inadequacies that are probably not going to go away and they're going to have to find a way to plug some things in a game three scenario when they need that third starter. And if they don't, it, it could be a short uh, trip to the postseason for this team. If they can get it fixed, I think they can make it to Omaha, but time will tell. And they've got four games this week to get things back on track. They're back in town. School's out. They're 36 and 12, 36 and 12 looks as, as a very good record, 17 and nine in the conference. 40 and 12 looks a lot better. And uh, as far as positioning for where they'd be in a national seed, but the world's not coming to an end. They're going to host, they're going to be a national seed. But me, like others are, 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 you're staring straight in the face of this has to be fixed or it's going to be a short trip for this team. If they don't get that third starter fixed. Well, again, this is where the school really messed them over on Ethan Smith because any normal place, <laughs> that kid is is playing ball within a few days after the LSU series again, and, and everything's fine. At that point, Vanderbilt is getting him ready to be their third starter more than likely. 
and then that kid is probably pitching five or six innings at this point of the season. Again, look at his career numbers. The ERA is right around two, I think. And we're not having this discussion, but they completely botched that. Uh, it set off a cycle of things, and, and I know a little more here than I can kind of get into, that, that has led to this, and Ethan Smith still hasn't pitched since the LSU series, and we might see him Tuesday. But in any case, you you get that right in the first place, and none of this happens. Yeah, and that's a, and I'd love to see him Tuesday as well. I mean, you got to get the kid two or three innings. You know, maybe if he got two or three innings against Florida International, then he could come back. Uh, it would be a Saturday though turnaround, so that makes it a little different since everything in the SEC's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the last week. But you know, they need help now. They, you know, and and you wonder, Chris, if it's, you know if he hadn't pitched in a month or almost what is it now five weeks. Uh, throwing him out there on Saturday against Kentucky in game three, although at this point it really might not matter. You'd love to get him an inning or two just to get him out there on the mound uh, before that. But, yeah, I've always been a fan of of that kid. I think he can help this pitching staff, and maybe he'll be the the spark plug that will uh, will down the stretch, whether it be in Hoover or in a regional or super regional, but there's too much inconsistency right now, and they're looking for help, and 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 it would be great, and it's putting a little pressure on on Smith. But uh, at this point, they need somebody to step up and take that role, and and hopefully it would be him. Just gotta yeah. get him out there. He hasn't pitched in over seven weeks now. I mean, you know, this is and 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 to and and having said that, I mean, yes, I, I agree with every statement you've said. Um, about how he's been messed over. I, I, I don't I agree with you that the process anywhere else could have been could have been would have been totally different. And and you got to understand the domino, which from what I hear is the case, and from reading between the tea leaves of what uh, Corbin said is that he he tried to come back and and of course maybe he's had some arm tightness or or what have you, some type of injury, and that happens when you. When you go through all the training that you go through, and of course we've talked about before, there were some issues with COVID and not being able to do as much in the fall as you used to as far as training. But it is hard to slam on the brakes and then just pick a ball up. Now, uh, so is it highly unusual that he had maybe some soreness? No, because it is. you're talking about uh, slamming on the brakes from all your training. He maybe lost some weight and lost some muscle, in, in his, you know, in his body, his leg muscles, whatever, and had to get all that back. And so there might have been some lingering effects. But I agree with you. He should have been back on the mound before now. Uh, can't do anything about the injury part. But uh, in in most cases, he wouldn't have lost any of that had, uh, the you know, the, Blake, the breaks have not been just slammed on his season right now. If they ever lose Tim Corbin, which I don't think they will, but I don't think it's impossible, it'll be over stuff like that. Because let me tell you, there has been a lot of smoldering resentment in a lot of corners about how the school has handled all this this year, which is needless, unnecessary, that's redundant, absences. It just, it, it causes, it's caused a lot of resentment, and that's where it's just a failure of leadership at the school. I mean, I, I get if if somebody's at risk, then you use caution, but there was no risk in this situation, um, and it just was stupid. There's no other word for it. Yeah, and let, let's just hope he gets out there because if there's a if there's a spark plug that this this team needs, 
It's uh, not having to go into a game three and feel like you got to score 13, you know, runs to win it. And that's what's, and, and look, we know about, uh, we've talked about game threes. I mean, look what happened. It, it happens everywhere. Mississippi state gave up what 16, 17, 18 runs at home on their game three, uh, against 16. Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mean that, that it's going to happen this league, but there, this, this team is dying for a, a pitcher to take the ball and say, you know what, I'm going to give you five and I'm going to turn it over to somebody else on a, on a Sunday or Saturday game three and you can have the confidence in knowing that I'm going to get it done. And right now, Riley showed, you know, it had a abysmal performance against Mississippi State. He pitched a little bit in Florida. He came back the next week and looked like he could be the third starter. And then what happened uh, yesterday in Oxford didn't help his cause. And this team can't afford to have a week-on, week-off uh, situation to solidify their three spot. Yeah, there's only one team in the league right now, and this is going to surprise you when I tell you who, that doesn't have probably somewhat of a Sunday problem, and I think that's South Carolina after it moved Carey to the rotation. I think that series win at the first of the year is going to end up being better than people know. I think South Carolina is really about to get it together. Um, Yeah. But in any case, I mean, here's the thing. Ethan Smith for his career, 2.64 ERA, 64 and two-thirds innings, 29 strikeouts, excuse me, 86 strikeouts, 29 walks just to do it batsman. And Ethan has pitched in big pressure situations before. So, again, you, you put that piece there, you assume he's given you five or six good innings, and all these problems that we are discussing right now don't exist. Yeah, and, and I agree with you, too, about that South Carolina statement. That was a bigger win than people realized when that happened, when we uh, swept that series early on. And you just kind of knew that that team was going to uh, mature and they did. And then when we get the, they get the ball, the bolster of having him, uh, that kid entered the rotation and you saw what they did against Kentucky this weekend and swept them easily. So yeah, just got to get the, got to get Smith out there. And I, and I'm, I'm sure no one, um, can understand it even more than Scott Brown and Tim Corbin and see what he can do. Now, and I want to get to the the lighter dynamic in a minute, because honestly, I feel better about them coming out of the weekend than I do going in. And spoiler alert, that's why. And I want to talk to that in just a minute. But one other detail to wrap up, I just, and I think everybody's unanimous on this. I don't think anybody understood. Nothing against the kid. He's going to be, I think, a fine pitcher for them one day. But a lot of freshmen, most freshmen, most talented freshmen struggle in your first year. I thought throwing Ethan Smith in that spot in a hitter's ballpark in what is against what you can debate is maybe the best lineup one through nine in the SEC. That's probably Arkansas, but I think Ole Miss is in that conversation maybe more than people would expect. But I didn't understand, especially they get Maldonado up right after Owen gets bombed, and he's not ready. I'm like, well, if if you're prepared to throw Maldonado there, why did you not have him ready in case it went badly for Owen, which it most certainly did? Yeah, that was, uh, you know, and it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens if there's a presser this week about that. You know, that happens occasionally, Chris, when – things go unexpected and I've been in a bullpen before where down there and, and any, any reliever or pitching coach knows the scenario when, 
when someone loses it, they lose it real quick and trying to get somebody up. And that was a little surprising that that happened. And what it could have been a little more surprising to me as well is that when you, when you're Vanderbilt on Friday night and it is 10 run ball game and they go with McIlvain, that was a little more surprising to me, actually, uh, because, you know, you, you throw me in that situation or you just what I mean, you, you know, McElvin, he's been one of those guys who's who's been the hole plugger and you and I'm not saying Scott Brown made a poor decision because I don't know the inner workings as far as who in bullpen's been doing well or who might be sore or whatever. That was a little bit of a um, a uh, surprise to me that they didn't go to someone else in that scenario. Now, Ole Miss can mash, uh, and, and they can come back real quick, and they've proven that in that ballpark. But it sure would have been a nice to have McIlvain in that scenario on Sunday. Now, but again, it, when, when Owen started unraveling and he ends up giving up six runs and there's, there's – um, not a lot of strike throwing balls going back to the screen and, and wild pitches. And that has to be a deal where, you know, Maldonado hasn't been in that role all year. He's been more of the come in and get the last six outs, nine outs. So you throw him in there and, you know, even he gave up four hits and two runs in his, in, in, in his three innings that he threw. So, you know, that there's a, um, you're trying to put it to words as far as what happens, but when something happens and you know, as a coach and you know, as a pitching coach, when someone's losing it and you can just tell by the pitching and the efficiency and again, wild pitches and not getting ahead at all and strikes after you go out there and you talk to them when, which Brown did and you got to get somebody up quick. And I was a little surprised there wasn't someone sort of, lurking back there with a the ball in their hand and the pen sooner than they were. Okay, I can defend them on Saturday more than, than most have. And maybe maybe it was the wrong decision to stretch McIlvain out. But here's the situation, okay? They are up, what, seven to nothing after six. Presumably, and I, I don't know, I don't remember, presumably he would have been warming up in the pen um, I guess during the sixth to get ready to go in the seventh. At that point, they're up seven to one. And keep in mind, Ole Miss a couple of weekends ago was down nine to one against LSU in the eighth and came back and won that game. It's an explosive offense. Uh, the ball gets out in that park. Um, and, and frankly, the two home runs that Ole Miss hitting its Tumar Rocker on Saturday would have been probably warning track fly ball outs in Nashville, maybe doubles, I don't know. But in any case, things play a little differently and, and you may not have a lot of margin for error. So Ole Miss can can make up as it showed on Sunday. It could put a 10 spot on you in a hurry. So at that point, you bring McIlwain in the game, or McIlvain, and, and, and okay, you, you score seven, uh, excuse me, you score four in the seventh. So you've added a little bit more cushion to where, like if you know that's going to happen, Maybe you bring in Owen or Evans or somebody in that spot, but you probably don't. And then once you get him in there, um, you know, maybe it's one of those things where if you get him through an inning, you know, maybe it's hard to bring him back tomorrow. So you go ahead and let him pitch out. To me, that was not the one that I had a big problem with given the circumstances. And plus, you just want to bank a win sometimes because crazy stuff happens in the SEC, ask Mississippi State. 
Um, but again, my my issue was, and it wasn't just Maldonado; they had Murphy there too. To me, at that point, I go and get my outs when I got to get them, and then I say, okay, I, I'm going to use these guys here to stop the bleeding, and and maybe maybe those two are all I need to get through the rest of the game, or, or maybe it gets dicey and and those guys both run out of gas. And maybe we got nothing left at the end but Owen and Evans. And if they beat us that way, then they just beat us that way. But I'd rather go ahead and get the game under control at that point and give yourself a chance than to have what happened where it got too out of hand, where even with some good offense, they just couldn't get back in it. Yeah, well, there, there, you know, Tim and Scott have both shown that, you know, you, you got to get that first win. So I agree with you. I mean, the Friday night wins are gold and you have to, uh, you know, excuse me, the, 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 at least the win. Sorry, taking back Saturday. Night, you got to at least guarantee that you're not going to go out there and dig yourself in a hole and get swept. You already lost one with your, you know, your supposed number one pitcher in Kumar Rocker. He's been in that slot for the last two years. And so there is a tendency that you lose the first one, you know, you don't want to get things out of hand. And I think that's a testament to the way Ole Miss plays in that park. I mean, that park plays a lot like Knoxville in the sense that balls fly out of there. And I don't know what it is. I mean, even in Vanderbilt's benefit, the ball's flying out of there. And so I, probably, I mean, I could see it both ways. And, and it's it's a it's something that is easy to pick on and pick apart and say, well, why did they do this in what order? But I was more responding to the fact that nobody was up uh, quick enough to kind of salvage that when things started unraveling for Owen in that 10-spot inning that uh, in the third that Ole Miss that hit. So, you know, I've never – this team, obviously, I think they said the last time this has happened, Vanderbilt gave up a 10-run was maybe the Xavier game the after the – Yeah, the 2016 Nashville. Right, Ridge right, yeah. which was – the, with the, you know that was just a horrible day and you, something that probably could be explained but that was tough to watch what I was impressed though is that this team battled back you can tell a lot about a team Chris when how they respond after a big inning and this team Vanderbilt teams in, in general have done this where 10 spot in the third by Ole Miss we respond with five and and the fourth I mean a lot of teams will get just you know not just quit but there's there's a sense that a lot of times in, in baseball that teams will will take a gut punch and will not be able to respond. And so you kind of ha- liked having that um, with the five spot in the fourth. Of course, Ole Miss responds with single runs in the fifth and sixth of their own. So it tells a little bit about them too. So all in all, what can you take if, if to summarize this from this weekend? Uh, you know, it took a gut punch. I mean, you lose uh, – Rocker loses a close game, which we said – could happen. I think it was the first time it did happen all year where Rocker pitches a close one, two run game and you, you tip your hat to him. I mean, Ole Miss, the Ole Miss guy pitched his butt off. And, and so then you're stuck with that kind of tendency to say, Oh, you're not panic, but we got to win this game because if we don't, we could get swept. And then you respond the way they did on Saturday. That was impressive in, in its own right offensively. Um, and then yesterday, it's just this roller coaster ride you go through, and I'm sure that that Tim will have the guys back and and bounce back with an opportunity here to to play a midweek game against a team that's you know, be honest, they're not great. I mean, it's Florida International's 20 and 30, 
And then you're going to have Kentucky coming here on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, which a team that you should handle. But I'm more interested, and I'm not counting victories before they come at all, but I'm interested in seeing, you know, how this team will respond with the Saturday starter with someone who will jump up to the, you know, say, I want the ball and give me four or five innings and offensively have that same uh, output that they had. Because if you score in this league, normally the amount of runs they scored yesterday shouldn't have been a problem. Well, and this is where the, the Smith thing, there may be too much water on the bridge. I don't know if they can get it back to to where he can go five, six innings. But this is what they could have had, right? I, I think, tell me if this is realistic. I, I don't think this is 1% unrealistic. They could have had Rocker, Leiter, Smith, you easily can get 18 great innings out of those three guys on a weekend, right? I would think so, yeah. I mean, so definitely that, the that, first. That leaves, you, that leaves you nine more innings. They can throw McIlvain in, in one of those situations where they're up, you know, six to one, seven to two, and I think you can count on him taking you the rest of the way, uh, get you a win there. So that's three more innings that brings you to 21. You can throw Maldonado for three. That gets you to 24, and then that gives you Riley – Owen, Christian Little, Hugh Fisher to get the last three outs, which it may be ugly at times, but at that point, the work that you've got to do is minimal. Now, look, if they can get Ethan Smith to that point um, and have him effective, and then this this is why people are just furious with him privately because it is it has just screwed so much stuff up. And and again, I hate to keep hammering on it, but th- there's your path um, <laughs> to no heartburn for anybody, right? But, you know, now at this point, I think you can say you get six out of Rocker. Certainly you can get six out of Lighter at this point, it looks like. And, and then it gets a little dicier. Uh, but, again, just, just about every team in the league is at that point. No, by the way, that the 12 to 13 to 14 or whatever you get out of Rocker and Lighter are probably going to be better than anybody else is going to get anywhere. So there's also that. Yeah, and and uh, I mean that that you know, lighter's performance uh, in in game two, which was impre- was the efficiency that he threw and the number of pitches. As they talked about it on the broadcast, you know, lighter threw ninety one pitches in six innings, which you know he had been going out there the last couple outings and he'd have that amount in four innings or five tops. So you, you got to like his his numbers there, and which something that you know you you really watch it with those two. You know, something that I was chewing on a little bit over the weekend is you just wonder, going down the stretch here, how much of a pitch count that they might have on those two top guys in Rocker and Lighter. And and, and I'm being serious about I, I would not be surprised uh, to see them back those guys way down, especially yeah. at the SEC tournament. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if on the SEC tournament that pitch count is in the 50s. Uh, 50, 60, you get three innings out of those guys because I think with this team, Chris, more so than it's ever been with the injuries that they've had, with the situation with Smith, with just what they've been dealing with as far as maybe not as much training before the season, um, it it pains me to say that I'm not saying they're not going to go down to Hoover to win a championship, but in this circumstance, uh, it might not um, behoove this team to go to and barbecue down there and, and get back to Nashville. If they did that, and, and I'm, I'm not predicting 
trying to be, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to say something that I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't see Rocker and Lighter down in Hoover till day three. Now, they could, but just saying, you know, to yourself, it's, I definitely think there'll be a, a limited uh, number of pitches that they'll throw just because you don't want the same thing happen to Rocker that happened to Lighter where he's coming up with a tired arm late in the year. I, I just think uh, this team more than ever uh, than any team of recent memory, just due to the, what they've been through the injury wise to the staff and what's going on, they need to see some faces other than sec faces. And, uh, and that'll happen in a regional and, and maybe that'll be the ticket, but this league is so good. You just witness with a powerful Ole Miss lineup that they have, that they can batter the ball around their yard, that it'll be good for this team more than ever to f- see some fresh faces in a regional. Yeah, you're thinking what I'm thinking. I I think that this year, going to and out in Hoover, I can't think of a year where it would be better for that to happen. Now, I don't know that I go down there playing to lose, but I think this is what I do. I think, depending on where they use him this weekend, I think I try to start Ethan Smith in game one in Hoover and just see what you can get out of him. Um, And if you... You get something out of him, great. Then you've learned something going into a regional. If you haven't, you've also learned something. Uh, I think they're going to be the two seed down there next week. I then on Friday, or excuse me, Thursday, which they're going to play Thursday regardless, uh, presuming they, they do what I think they'll do this weekend. Then I probably go with Little O'Reilly on Thursday. Then I probably go Rocker if you're still around on Friday because that's his normal day. Same thing with Lighter on Saturday with that being his normal day. Uh, and, and then if you get to Sunday, which I don't think they will, uh, then, then whatever, right? Uh, which is the case for most of those teams down there. But I think that's how I play it. Yeah, I don't, but I don't see any of the top two guys throwing 100 pitches. No, and I, I wouldn't either. I, I like the way you're thinking, maybe 50 or 60 and get them out of there. And, and if you don't get to them at all, uh, again, I don't shed any tears on the bus ride home. Yeah, and it's just either there's there's been a formula for years that several teams. Florida used to do that. For goodness' sake, and Florida would they they look like they couldn't get home fast enough, and um, you know that that was a formula. South Carolina too. Yeah, when, when they were Carolina, winning the Georgia. titles, they were not very good in Hoover. Yeah, right. Georgia has done that on occasion. So uh, it, it'll be. Um, this tournament this year will, in, in looking, it's going to benefit a lot of some people. Um, I know there's a battle just to try to get into it, which is pretty interesting uh, to see who's going to, who some people's jobs might be on the line, but some people's jobs might be on uh, on the line anyway, especially in College Station. But there's, um, you know, it'll be a different tournament. Some te- I think some teams, if you look at what happened, if you look at, I think Baseball America came out with, with their um, you know, last four in and, and then the next four, uh, the first four out and next four out, you know, Kentucky was on their first four out. They had LSU on the next four out. The, the, they had the, the first four out were Clemson, Kentucky, Maryland, North Carolina. Then you had beyond that, UC Santa Barbara, Wichita State, Mercer, LSU. Uh, which, you know, uh, I'm not disagreeing, but that's, that's, you know, LSU still got some work to do. I'm not saying they don't, uh, they had Alabama in, um, they had Alabama, Tulane, Ball State, Virginia, the last four in. So 
there's definitely some stuff to play for uh, these next three games, which across the league start Thursday everywhere and go Thursday through Saturday on purpose. They always do that the last week. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on who gets, you know, who's really got stuff to play for? Because I know, you know, Kentucky coming in here at 27 and 20, um, they've got, you know, they could, they could put a dent in their RPI and really lower that. They're already going to get the strength to schedule part uh, playing a top, you know, whatever Vanderbilt comes in here, four or five. What are your thoughts on that? Well, here's how I see it right now, okay? Um, Arkansas, Vandy, probably Tennessee, uh, top eight seeds right now. State might be two. Those four teams host. I think Florida would host if they did it today. I think Ole Miss would host if they did it today. I think South Carolina, and this is going to surprise people, I think Carolina would host too, and that would give the league seven. Uh, Carolina, by the way, um, ended up with the toughest schedule in the league, and they're going to host Tennessee this weekend in what I think will be a really interesting series. I think LSU today, and by the way, I tend to like D1 baseball on this stuff more than I do uh, Baseball America. No disrespect to those guys, but there are occasionally some things I see that that have me scratching my head over there. Um, I, to me right now, and, and that, look, that was last weekend. Some games have happened. To me, LSU right now is in. Even at 11-16, that RPI is 18. Strength to schedule is 2. I just don't think that can be ignored. Alabama, my guess right now is Alabama gets in at 12-14. and 14, 25 RPI, 9 strength to schedule. Now, the thing Alabama will have is if Connor Prelip is back and giving them some meaningful innings, Alabama can look at the committee and go, oh, by the way, guys, um, we got our ace back, and we haven't had him all year. Uh, and and so we think we've earned it, and we've got him now. So that'll be interesting too. Now beyond that, uh, Georgia's the one that I'm watching. I, I think if Georgia can win a couple at Ole Miss this weekend, it gets in. But the pitching injuries have just taken a toll down there. Kentucky, I don't see Kentucky getting in. Boring winning the series this weekend with Vanderbilt, which I think is highly unlikely. Uh, and then Auburn, A and M, Missouri—you can forget it. None of those teams are close, but that's how I see it. Well, you that you give the committee an excuse though when you're Kentucky and you're 11 and 16 in the league. You know that that always has bothered me, and they and I've heard them use that before. And with LSU, I still think LSU's got some stuff they got to do this these next three. Who do they have? Who does LSU play? LSU goes to A and M, which the, the good thing no. for LSU is those are. Two very winnable games. I think they can take two out of three. In fact, I think they will. And the thing is with the RPI, AM's RPI is what, 68, yeah. 69? So you get the road boost. That's true. Uh, so if they win two out of three, the RPI is going to, I'm going to say, stay right around where it is. And in 13 and, and 17, I think that team gets in uh, unless it goes over Hoover. Although, you know, LSU will only have a chance to to get one more loss down there. Um, it, you know, if it loses the first game at single elimination, so maybe that helps. But I think LSU, if it takes the series um, at Bluebell Park in College Station this week, then I think LSU's in. Yeah, and that would give them 15 wins in the conference or 14? Uh, it, would give them, yeah. it would give them 13, I believe. Okay, okay. But, well, yeah, but again, think... you look at the RPI and everything else, and the other metrics are – there and LSU can also say well we lost Jaden Hill we needed some time to to deal with that and and it's it's plausible yeah 
And then, you know, it's uh, it's just been a wild year. It always is different uh, scenarios. And did you see the the um, the post game in Knoxville, the uh, the post game with the Van Horn? And I mean, that 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 was uh, I don't know if you've seen it on Twitter, but that was some that just kind of shows what's kind of going on. There's this new push with with uh you know team the newer teams ut coming on and and that was uh that was some and the post game handshake if you haven't seen it um look it up it was it was uh got pretty testy in knoxville this season of the podcast presented by my friend jody jones dds whose business is located at 55 music square east jody is the dentist in nashville that the stars go to Music stars, movie stars, athletes, coaches, they all go see Dr. Jones because the service is phenomenal. And so is the setting. It does not feel like a dentist office. It feels more like a tooth spa, as a friend of mine referred to it as. And, and it really is. I've been in and I've seen it myself. And it is just unlike anything that you've ever seen. He makes you feel comfortable from the moment you walk in the door. So if you need cosmetic or just general dentistry services. Go see Dr. Jones. He's a former Vanderbilt football player. He's a big football booster. Go see him today and tell him you heard about it on the Vandy Sports Podcast. He is the one who has made this season of the podcast possible. So please, when you drop in to see him, talk a little Commodore football and give him thanks for making this season of the podcast possible. I did see the dust up. Nobody seems to know what that is about, although Arkansas did apparently find itself without hot water in the showers afterwards. Yeah, that that's happened before in Knoxville, supposedly. I know that happened to our football team uh, years ago. Um, when I say years ago, I mean James Franklin years when uh, Robinette scored the touchdown that game in Knoxville. Uh, that No hot water. I mean, that that's... And apparently that's happened a few times, but uh, those two guys got into it. And if you haven't seen it, I mean, Vitello kind of stands there and I don't know why he's got his mask on because masks weren't, I mean, uh, there, there was no masks to be found in Knoxville this weekend. Uh, and, and, um, you know, has his mask or his, whatever that thing is around it, gator around his neck. And then Van Horn is just laying into him and it kind of continues. And then the teams are walking, uh, you know, Arkansas, I guess is heading towards their bus and UT and there's back and forth. So there's a little, some fireworks. It was a passionate series up there. And once again, you know, it just shows, I mean, this, this, uh, you know, UT, UT, um, is brash. They like to celebrate when they hit home runs and that's okay. I don't mind celebrating, but gyrating when you're coming around third base and, and doing stuff to the opposing teams dugout, it can, leave a lasting impression and uh you know they did that against us uh in the, in the home runs that the, the kid hit and i'm i'm all about passion i don't mind it uh and all that but there's a, there's a level of just when you just of disrespect when you literally are turning around as you rant rounding third base and flexing your muscles and all that I, I, that that can get a little bit old um and i'm sure van horn maybe that had something to do with it i don't know but did those two coach together yeah vitella was his recruiting coordinator at arkansas that's where tennessee got him from <laughs> i mean imagine eric bockich and tim corbin doing that i mean it just it, it usually there's a relation unless he left on bad terms or whatever but that was puzzling to me because i knew that there i thought there was a relationship but thought maybe they had you know, missed each other, but, um, 
I'm sure some stuff will come out, but that 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 made for an interesting uh, post game of that of that three game series. Yeah, like Florida's the team that has probably poked the bear more than anybody over the Corbin years, but I've never seen Corbin or O'Sullivan get into it during or after a game. Have you? No, and uh, and I think Tim is, uh, you know, he's flat out said, you know, they watered the base paths and didn't, you know, usually some people would dance around that, but uh, he's basically. <laughs> about with Enrique Bradfield's uh, stolen base prowess that, that they made it a lake over there on first base intentionally. And I don't think Tim thought twice about saying it. So yeah, they, they, um, yeah, ever since, you know, with Tim being a groomsman in his wedding, which a lot of people don't, don't, uh, realize that or have forgotten that. I know it's been over 10, 12 years ago, but Tim was, uh, uh was maybe his best man. Um, and so that's kind of unusual, but the, the fact that Florida has tried to poke the bear a little bit over the years with doing some different stuff uh, with their team and 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 the trash talking between those two. So, um, um, you know, I don't know the history of that since then. Uh, maybe Tim regrets being his best man. I don't know, or maybe that says that uh, I, I won't go any further of that. But anyway, um, that it's a passionate game. There is no doubt that these guys want to win and. Uh, there's pressure to win in this league. And if you don't win, I mean, if, if they say that what's true in college station, you know, this is a team removed. When did Texas A&M go to the, to Omaha 2017? Uh, that, sounds about right. I'll look yeah, it up. You know, it's just, it's, it's, uh, just like any, any sport in this league, uh, it can be unforgiving if you don't, you know, it's just your expectations are so high and, that's a school that has a tradition rich in baseball, and the and Texas A&M will. It'll be interesting. I don't know if any other jobs will open up. Maybe Missouri. Um, you know that that could be problematic there, but uh, those two come to mind as uh, ones to watch. Yeah, I'm hearing that A&M might end up making a change. I, I don't know a lot about that, but it's weird. A&M, and this has all happened since Rob Childress has been there. A&M's got the third longest NCAA tournament streak behind Florida State, which is way out in front of everybody, and then Vanderbilt. So, uh, I, I don't know. That that strikes me as one of those, maybe be careful what you wish for there if you make a change, because he's been remarkably consistent. And I know that the hardware test you know, is maybe where they've fallen short a little bit, but I don't know, man. That I, I might be careful if I'm A&M there. Well, just what other teams have done in the league, and that's what just happens. The other teams surpass. They look at, uh, you know, and athletic directors look at other coaches. And, and I don't know if Vitello, I mean, so, there have been some rumblings, oh, he's going to go here, he's going to go there, he would go to Missouri. I mean, if I'm Tony Vitello, I'd probably just stay put and, and um, you know, let the jobs come to me and I, and I can pick one. But, uh, you know, that stuff, post-game stuff is going to run – uh, it's going to rub some people raw. It's not going to be for everybody. And he's young. I mean, for this, he's, I think he's the youngest coach in the conference. But um, those things, um, you know, they play themselves out. And usually guys will come around to it and regret it or apologize and say, you know, let's just let it be water under the bridge. But it's this league, people people don't forget, I can tell you that much. Uh, there's some passion and the pressure to win. It, it definitely, uh, there's some, that can happen in this league. I want to ask you your perception on the extracurricular stuff because it seems to me like Vanderbilt used to be maybe the worst defender at that, the the plate stomping, the spiking the ball, you know, from the catcher after outs. Uh, some people get bent out of shape over the 
<laughs> the outfield stuff between innings, which I think is silly. Uh, that 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 to me is just a funny way to keep your team loose. But some people take exception to that. Now it seems to me, and look, Vanderbilt still does its fair share of plate stopping and stuff like that. But it seems to me like you're seeing more stuff now, and they've been on the other end of this a lot lately. Uh, the bat flipping, the um. You know, the, the yelling in the dugout like what um, Logan Tanner did to them a couple of weeks ago when he hit the home run in game two, um, you know, that that kind of thing. Nikhazy was kind of, you know, doing a lot of fist pumping and shouting. Again, I mean, stuff that in a lot of spots they've done before. But it seems like now it's kind of flipped where they were maybe the team that did more of that to where they're kind of stuck in plate stomping. They don't stock, spike the ball as much anymore. You'll see Rocker yelling in an opposing dugout and stuff like that, um, you know, like he did against Duke when they were trying to stall him out a couple of years ago. Uh, and you've seen him do that a couple of times where people try to mess with them. But I think other places, I've never seen as much uh, of the plate stomping and the staring at home runs and the bat <laughs> flipping and the yelling in dugouts. And then you had thing in Knoxville. It just seems like that is sort of – taken on a new level the last couple of years well it's it's easy to hate you when you're when you're good uh, when you're winning national titles and when you're winning 40 plus games a year and you know yeah the plate stomping that would get you i mean if if you did that in the major leagues and i know there's this code and you know the and the the unwritten rules if somebody did that in the major leagues they would catch one in their ear, ear the next time they came up it's just you know whether that's right wrong or indifferent um, the, the, and, and a lot of teams are doing, I saw a video of a high school team here locally. And I was on the Tennessean website and a kid hit a home run and I, it was even in Murfreesboro or in that area, Laverne or whatever. And the kid rounds third base and they had video highlights on their site and he did a plate stomp, you know, I mean, you know, and, and so the, the local kids are the kids around here. I, I don't remember seeing that, um, before Vanderbilt started doing it. I, I don't know if Vanderbilt got it from somewhere else, but it, I think it got highly popular a year or two ago, uh, especially with the team that won it all two years ago, did that. And and that's kind of their thing. And every team's got their thing when they hit a double. The stir it up. Yeah. Stir it up. Yeah, in the dugout. I mean, they ever, you know, and Enrique Bradfield's got his thing when he um, gets a big hit, a, steals a base, he he does something to the dugout. It, but it, And it makes it entertaining. And, I'm not trying to be grandpa here and, and say not have fun, uh, you know, because across the ocean in, uh, you know, in Asia, when they, they, there's lots of bat flips in the Korean league and in, in, uh, south of the border and in, in those, in those leagues. So it's, um, it, it's one of those things that some people it's going to bother and some people that don't, and they're going to be seen as being old fashioned and, and all that. It, it creates an excitement people, there are certain people again who think baseball is boring and and that there's not an activity, a lot of standing around, and that's their way to have some entertainment around it. And you know, one—it's just like anything. It's one sport. Fighting is allowed in hockey, and if you did the same thing in a in a if two guys went after it in in baseball or football, they'd be they'd get kicked out of the game. You know, there's every game has their things about it that make it unique and different, and. Um, College of baseball has let that happen a little bit more. Um, I know it got, when I played, it was really bad. I mean, the bench jockeying was, was really, really rough. 
and it got to almost be a sideshow until the league kind of cleaned it up a little bit. And you'll see, uh, I, I just, because that game was a walk-off in Knoxville, that's the one I'm talking about, where they you know, chased the guy down right field, ripped his jersey off. Um, I'm, all, I'm all okay about that uh, because there's that passion about it. But motioning again to a dugout and doing what that kid did uh, in game two, uh, that deserves some questioning of, you know, dude, what are you doing? Because you might see that in your ear uh, if you don't watch out. You talking about the Ferguson incident? Yeah, 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 and it's just and, and a lot of people are talking about that. Um, so, and today's generation, there's some people in their 20s and 30s would absolutely see nothing wrong with that. But um, for a baseball purist like I am, I don't. Again, I'll take it to a certain level in the excitement. But I mean, the taunting part of it, you're not able to do. I mean, you get a 15 yard penalty in football if you do that. I mean, there's there's specific sports you're not allowed to do that, and. Um, that kind of just stirred the pot a little bit for that series in Knoxville. Yeah, I if I had to do one of two ways, I'd rather have it like college baseball has it right now because I think when you start throwing at people, that that gets people hurt, uh, and I'm I'm not for that. But I think it's gone a little too far with some of the stuff with with the yelling and the dugouts and the the taunting and things like that. Like if you want to celebrate your thing, great. I mean, you might not want to go too overboard with it, but I think taunting and yelling in dugouts is when it goes too far. But the thing that's always cracked me up is hockey because for for some reason you could put on a hockey sweater and do things that like if you did that on the street, you're in jail. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. You could get, you would be thrown out of the game and suspended in baseball for games if you did that. Oh, and it would be, it would be a broadcast topic for three days on everything. So in, in, in in hockey, it's just another day in the park, right. Or another, another day on the ice. Right. Right. I mean, you you got guys who you would be literally suspended in other sports to do that. And and of course they use it as a kind of a policing the game to keep it, uh, to keep it, getting out of hand where your star players aren't getting roughed up, but it's just, it is sort of funny when you think about it. What are the pet peeve? I'm going to, I'm going to save most of uh, the talk about the lineup for a podcast later in the week. So I don't replicate content, but one thing that's just driving me crazy is this constant hand wringing over leaving people on base. Like everybody leaves guys on base, especially if you get a lot of guys on base, they don't have, is I see it any more of a problem than anybody else does, unless you can point me to something that I'm not seeing. No, I mean, it, it is it is definitely a statistic to watch. But, I mean, what else? When you look at the victory, the game two victory, and it kind of it, it takes a little bit of uh, um, my, my, my firepower as far as my this team this year as far as striking out. And then we, we got some guys who strike out too much. I mean, you know, We've talked about that. As soon as you get on Carter Young's, uh, you know, case about striking up, striking out, he hits a bomb that clears the beach bleachers in right field in Oxford. But, you know, I, I said, you know, if, if just talking about statistics and data and runners left on base, that's what I'm go- here's where I'm going with it. But, you know, this team won 13 to two in game two and struck out 12 in that game. And what it, it, you wonder if, a little bit if this team got so home run happy with the seven bombs that they hit. I mean, 
it was it seven home runs and seven of the 13 hits were home runs. You rarely see that, Chris. And, no, and you're so right. You're wondering if this is, uh, you know, with all these, you know, elevating the baseball off the bat and launch angles, if the, you know, if this world is becoming college baseball a home run park. Now, you're not going to get the ball out of uh, TD Ameritrade Park in Omaha or Hoover a lot. You're going to see some balls fly out of there in the SEC tournament in two weeks. But you don't. What you don't want to have happen is you're you're trying to just yank the ball out of the park, and those are easy fly balls, depending on what park you're playing at. If you're playing in Knoxville, you're playing at Swayze Field in Oxford, that can happen. But uh, you know, different things about striking. I mean, that's the way of the game almost. You're going to see teams strike out a lot. You're going to see a lot of home runs. You're going to see some runners left on base, uh, and and that's where the game has changed a little bit. I don't think you know. Years ago, it was the hot bat. The hot bats were were you were seeing pop ups going out of the park, and that had a lot to do with it. But it, with with the advent of this launch angle, these kids, I saw Mike Yaskrimski. Uh, I got lost in a hole one day on on YouTube or whatever, and there was a video of him in the batting cage uh, in San Francisco with the with the hitting coach, and they were talking about launch angles and different things about how he wanted to improve his launch angle. And he had it all down almost to an analytical science almost. And, and those are, that's just something that I'm not used to, which is kind of the norm now. So you've got all that going on that in today's world of baseball too, that has changed the game uh, quite a bit from where it was just four five, six years ago. Yeah, no, the one issue I have with them is I would like to see them take a few more walks than they do. They've taken 97 in SEC games. They've allowed 103. Um, and, yeah. and the home run ball has been the thing that's kind of bitten them. I think they're near the top of the league leaders in giving them up. They've given up 38. They've hit 42. And, again, that's a thing that um, the parks are going to play in from now on. They're going to play in their own park. Or they're going to play in Hoover. They're going to play in Omaha, and they're not going to play anywhere else. And so that neutralizes that a good bit. Now, that maybe that becomes an issue where some of the balls they're hitting, and they hit a few in Oxford that I don't think are out at Hawkins Field, so it goes both ways. But I think the park situation is going to play to their strengths a lot here coming up. Yeah, and, and you're going to – you're exactly right. I mean, this, if this team – they're going to be a, a host of regional and in line to hope is super regional. So you're right. But it, it is, you know, you want, you can't go down to Hoover and expect any success because literally that is a Canyon down there uh, trying to hit the ball out. I mean, you'll see a few, but it, you're not going to see that many. And there's a lot of foul territory and it's a very deep park. Oh, and by the way, who's playing center for them? For Vanderbilt. For who? Vanderbilt. Uh, Bradfield? Yes. So. Yeah. They, oh, okay. I see what you mean. Yeah. There, you know, he's, he's the kind of guy, I got some texts over the weekend that, um, <laughs> and it's special to watch him. I got a guy who texted me, doesn't know a whole about Vanderbilt baseball, hadn't been following it. And he is, uh, you, you know, they watched him make that diving catch and just the way he handled himself at the plate and, he he just looks like a junior. I mean, he looks like a guy who's been there for three years. And I mean, the guys that guy's going to be a superstar. And this is what my friend told me. And I go, "Yep, you you can identify talent." I mean, he uh, it was it's fun to watch him play and the the amount of 
ground and what the respect he's getting nationally. He was getting on the broadcast over the weekend and, and uh, yeah, he, he can cover that Canyon down in Hoover. You know, one thing, Chris, and we can talk about that. I'm, I'm a little concerned here. You know, CJ Rodriguez's workload. Uh, I know he got subbed out yesterday, but you, you just wonder if he's banged up a little bit. And that is something that this team does not need is to be messing with that because he's uh, you just wonder if he'll get the rest tomorrow night uh, against Florida international, because I don't know if he's nicked up or banged up, but he's caught a lot of innings. Yeah, the problem they have right now, and this is why you saw Keegan catching in the midweek, is that Romero's been hurt too. Yeah. So, I mean, Espinal's their fourth option. Espinal's probably been sent home for the summer, I would guess. So I guess he's not an option at this point. Yet that's what I'm worried. See, that what I'm worried about and really nothing else bothers me. Everything else is just painting around the edges. And by the way, left on base, back to where I was going, Vanderbilt 19, Ole Miss 19 for the weekend. So it's not it's it's not an issue. Teams that get a lot of guys on base are going to leave a lot of guys on base. Right. And that's better than the problem of getting nobody on base because if you have nobody on base, you can't hit them in. You can only hit them in or fail to hit them in. Um, and over the long run, I, I'll take the offense that – that gets a lot of guys on and strands some guys because the dam eventually bursts. But, um, yeah, my my only concern about this team is health. I think everything else, they check the boxes, they defend well. There's the starting pitching now that Leiter is healthy. Um, and we need to we need to hit on that in a second because we haven't yet. Uh, and, and it's it's the catching situation. I, I worry about that because they got to get those guys rested, as you said. Rodriguez just doesn't look like the same guy right now, and I don't think that's him. I think that's the wear and tear. Well, he he took a lot of battering back there, if you think about it. I mean, Rocker Rocker's going to throw his share of sliders in the dirt, and there were some there were some that got by him that were you know when you're seeing ninety ninety three uh, coming at you and those sliders are just hard to defend. They're catching on the wrist and maybe catching on the 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 thigh where there's no protection, that inner leg, and that that can get that can get old real quick. And then especially you know in the third inning yesterday in game three, uh, he really took it. So he could have possibly have taken some balls and just they needed to get him out of there and hopefully he'll get some rest. Yeah, and I remember watching the Alabama game and I think he blocked five pitches that Rocker threw and, and so that's that's ta- he's taking foul tips off the helmet. There's just a lot of like like you said, he took one off the wrist, he got hit by a pitch. I mean that that kid right now and I think he's still, you know, making contact okay despite it. It just that's gonna that's gonna beat anybody down. But let's talk lighter for a minute. My goodness, I thought he was good. I liked the fact that for a while it was the breaking ball he was getting everybody out on, and then then he lost command of that, and he just said, "Okay, guys, beat me with my fastball," and Ole Miss couldn't. Yeah, that sixth inning was the the that could have gone either way. That even though it was a comfortable lead, I mean, it was five, it was six to one at that point. And I was glad he got out of that. And I kind of made a mental note that I think that's probably going to be it for him. And McIlvain came in and finished it off. And that was probably the smart because smart idea because he threw a lot of pitches that inning. He's pretty efficient. He threw 91 for the game. 
but that inning, uh, I think the bases were loaded in that when he when he got out of the jam, and that was good to see that he did that. Still, the anomaly. I, I still um, am puzzled with uh, how he's pitching, but both Rocker and Lighter, more so Lighter than Rocker, still have an affinity for that first inning of not being able to. You know, we got to get a leadoff guy on, and and that's uncharacteristic for how they pitch the rest of the game. But it's almost like by default they have to go through that situation, which you'd rather not um, on the weekend um, against some of these teams. But um, he has done that um, a couple times. He's done it all year. That, And it's usually the first inning that uh, he gets somebody on, which is kind of uncharacteristic of what you thought he would do for the rest of the game. Let's go into the mailbag. That is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call Josh today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshumintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about him on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Door King says, shall we be concerned about the bullpen? Seems weaker than years in past. You know, yes. I mean, it's it's a uh, broken record as far as that's concerned. I mean, there's some you you uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of consistency there uh, across the board for several weeks, and until you can solidify that third starter and everybody knows their roles, then it, it's still going to be a concern. As I said, the first two minutes of this podcast, it's something that unless something dramatic happens in the next week or 10 days it's it's going to be the thing that is going to be the big question mark of this team and and uh will that change if ethan smith gets back which we hope it will um possibly because it sort of notches some guys down a little rung lower where they're more in roles you know maldonado is not a middle reliever but they didn't have any chance choice of it yesterday and he had to go when he had to when he went yesterday so, yeah, it, it is a concern, sure. I mean, we've been talking about this for five, six weeks, and until it gets fixed, it is going to be other than, you know, other than who is going to be your day-in, day-out third baseman, who is going to be your day-in, day-out left fielder, those, those are concerns. But above that, and the number one spot is, who's going to pitch you in a super regional if you have to win a game number three, who is going to be the human being who's going to take the ball for you and win you a game? And Or in a regional, who's going to be the one who's going to win you a Sunday night game when you're facing a team that maybe you've beaten already uh, and you're undefeated and you're sitting in that spot? Who's going to be that person? That is, is way above the, the other two that I mentioned because I think those will figure themselves out. Looks like Leneve is... is working his way into possibly taking that job for the time being third base. I'm not too sure about that. There's some finagling, but if you're looking one, two, three, as far as my concerns, it's third starter slash bullpen because it's got to solidify some roles left field, third base. And then everything else I think is, is worked itself out. I'm trying to go back to Omaha in 2019 and think, and you had, you had Hickman, who you could trust. You had Rocker, who you could absolutely trust. And you had uh, Drake Fellows, who you could trust sometimes. Sometimes he was really good, and some nights he wasn't. But he was durable, and that really helped. That's how I always thought he was underrated. And I thought they had to use Fellows 
beyond what they should have in a lot of spots during his career because they just didn't have great arms behind him. And, and frankly, I always said this, like if you flip the rotation, then everybody's saying, well, Rockers as good a one as everybody's got. Hickman's as good a two as anybody's got. And boy, that Fellows is, is great for a three. Uh, but instead what they did is they put Fellows in the spotlight of the one and it changed the way people viewed the pitching staff. But after that... You know, I'm trying to think when they got to Omaha. I mean, you had you had Brown, right? Um, who was sure. was really good. Smith didn't pitch in Omaha that year. I think there was a a, a nagging arm issue or something, maybe. Um, Raby pitched and it didn't go too well. Eater. Fisher, oh, Eater. Eater was great. Eater was that long guy. Um. Well. I, there's not a they comp didn't need on this a whole team. Lot of guys, they they didn't, and again, that's because you had starting pitching that could go a long way, which is again why I say back to the Smith thing that if that is fixed from the beginning, we're not having any of these conversations. That's why that was such a big deal, and and maybe that rectifies down the stretch. But I mean, they had they had enough arms in 19 to get it done because of the construction of their starting pitching. Now that lineup was better than this one, but I think this one's better than people think, uh, Chip. Yeah. And, and, um, we might just be nitpicking here and that's why I'm kind of anxious to get to, uh, the regional part of the schedule, the tournament part to see how this team fares. Now, um, you know, we all know that the NCAA has their way of putting sec teams in cross matches and super regionals, and that could very, you know, it's going to happen because it's just the number of teams. But um, I think uh, it'll be a, a, a telling sign when this team makes it to uh, play some fresh faces to see um, how how they fare against competition that they haven't seen and has been well scouted and 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 info, info shared around the conference like it does uh, between the coaches. B3 Vandy said Corbin mentioned after the Ole Miss loss, he wanted to see how the team handles adversity. It's all about peaking at the right time. Does Corbin need to see a little more adversity before the big dance? Does Vanderbilt need a big loss like Duke two years ago to get its heads screwed on right? Now, I did not hear the comments yesterday. I had was was getting a family back from the airport and that kind of thing. So I, I my day was. I got to see maybe half the game yesterday and was pretty scrambled. I didn't get to do the press conference, so I didn't hear the comments. I don't know if you did, but I'll let you address what you can with that. No, I, I didn't hear the press conference either. I'd look for it and, and look for quotes, so that was something that um, maybe was in a Mississippi paper or, or on the Ole Miss website. When you really look at it, I, I don't think this team needs uh, – I mean, when it's a gut check, if it's – you know, they scored 10 runs. You know, I mean, it, it's it. You're looking at it was a it was a, and I'm not saying this was on the pitching staff, but you had two guys yesterday that didn't perform well in Riley and Owen. They had a tough day at the park. They didn't do well. Uh, they, we scored the first two runs of the ball game, led two nothing in the third, and then they get a ten spot in there at half of the third. But you still score ten runs. Uh, you you give you have two errors. It's, it's going to happen. Get some guys. Isaiah Thomas had a great weekend. You got to feel good about him and how he he played. Uh, Lenive had a good game on Saturday. He was one for five and and struck out twice. But you kind of got like the way he played over the weekend. Uh, Dominic Keegan three for five. You got you know there's some positives. Bradfield played well yesterday. 
there's some positives to take out of it. I don't think it's just it was a shellacking that you're going out of there with your head between you you you, you just your head between your knees and you're like, oh my gosh, I want to bury myself. Um, so I don't to answer the question. I don't think this team they go out there Tuesday night, win that ball game, and 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 keep their offense up, and then take care of business against Kentucky. They got to feel good about themselves uh, for an opportunity to head to Hoover with 40 wins in their pocket. And to me, that's that shows a lot. I think it's a good number to shoot for, not that they get all wrapped up in wins. But uh, right now, at this point in the season, they've learned some lessons. They they took it on the chin in Gainesville. They learned some lessons in Knoxville, learned another one yesterday. I don't think this team really is, is sitting there and, and the coaching staff saying, well, we need to learn a little more. I mean, sure, you learn more from losses than you do winning big or winning at all. You learn your big lessons when things like happened yesterday. And the lesson learned yesterday is you got to have a number three starter. Yeah, I mean, they've had plenty of adversity this year. They have, yeah. they've had, I'm looking at this. Ah, let me pull it up. I think they, you can argue that they have had the toughest schedule in the league so far. Um, let me tell you, you know, they have not played Auburn, they have not played AM. Those are the easiest two teams to beat on that side of the West. And they haven't played Arkansas. So that was that that was a break, right? Sure. Um, but but I mean that, that also goes for Arkansas. Arkansas is probably sitting there going, uh, we're not heartbroken, we didn't have to play Vanderbilt. <laughs> right. So you've looked at the the Smith thing, they've had injuries to Laboki and Doolin. Um, you know, gosh, you look all over the lineup. They've been banged up in almost every position. We, we talked about catcher. Keegan missed a couple of weeks again with the with the COVID thing. Um, Colwick broke his handmate, missed a month. You've had Davis pull the hammy and left. Uh, you've got Bulger, I think, has got a leg issue right now. Thomas has missed games twice. I mean, they've kept Bradfield healthy. And they've kept Young healthy, and, and thank God for that for them in both cases. But my goodness, um, but between the schedule, between the, the the injuries to position players and the pitching stuff, I'd say they've taken a lot of adversity. And, and by the way, um, there's not a player on this team on the lineup side who started for them in Omaha, I don't think. Yeah, you got to remember that too. I mean, the, the, this is um, this is still a very young team, so they're learning, and that's good that they're doing that. And they'll be that'll be much better for the for that coming down the stretch in pressure-filled situations and being in front of eleven thousand people three games in a row is is uh, a great learning experience too. Boy, that sounded like it was just a big party down there. I don't know. I've had some friends who went to that, but. You know, that's why they, these guys came to Vanderbilt, to play in atmospheres like that, to play in, in front of the people they did yesterday and, and all, or all weekend. And um, so I'll take my learning. I, I'll just wrap it up in that this question by saying, I think they've gotten enough experiences as they, uh, already. And I think, Tim Corbin, you know, you're, you're always trying to um, learn, but we're getting to the point of season where you don't want to learn too much uh, or you're going to find yourself – you know, packing the bags and, and telling everybody we'll see him in the fall. So uh, this is, uh, we've talked about it, Chris, in years past. This is the time. I don't know if they're taking a day off today, um, being Monday with a game tomorrow. Probably are. I mean, I'm sure there's guys over there hitting. 
but this is this is 24 7 baseball now they are not on the the academic side of vanderbilt uh, they're not on that side of the um, equation anymore. It's all baseball, seven days a week, 24-7, and um, this is the time that this team has, in the past, has um, really risen up and, and, and done good things. They haven't, I will say, on the other side of it, have been this banged up. And one other guy, you forgot about Miles Garrett, too. I mean, he yeah. wasn't throwing a whole lot, but right. he was throwing – He'd throw, when he got in, he was throwing, he was out there quite a bit in the midweek, so that's another name. Yeah, that matters more now because of the other injuries. If, right. if everything is more normal and Smith's here and you know either Laboki or Doolin is here, then then it doesn't even really get on the radar. But once the injuries start to pile up, they all matter. Absolutely, absolutely. But, and let's say this, too. You look at the weekend series, okay, they, they've had one against Wright State, which is probably a regional team. They had one against Oklahoma State, regional team. Um, that was on the road. Road series at LSU, probably going to be, in my estimation, a regional team, which they won. Road series at Tennessee, probably going to be a national seed. They won that. Road series at Florida and Ole Miss. Both teams, I think, would host if they picked them today. Uh, they lost those, but they got a game in each of those. Um, I mean, they have played. You may end up at the end of the season saying they played nine or ten weekend series against regional teams uh, and, and maybe two or three national seeds in there, and, and I think that's pretty significant. Yeah, and you, you go through this league. We've talked about it. You you just get bludgeoned. You know, it, it is – you're battered and you're bruised, and the teams that get spit out at the end um, – after the tournament, because then you go down to the tournament and you beat each other up there and and you're bloodied and bruised. And then you kind of come up for air on that Monday, you know, when the selection show comes and find out where you get to go. And, you know, I, I would think for a man of the coaching staff, for each one of those guys on that coaching staff, they're looking forward to that and they can get these guys where they need to be and, and the eventual goal where they want to go. By the way, would you like to know who's given up the fewest runs in SEC play? Team, team-wise. Team, team-wise. Mm. Uh, how about Vanderbilt? How about Vanderbilt? So even as bad as it has been, <laughs> they've given up fewer runs than any team in the league in conference play. And again, um, I would point out that the schedule has not exactly been easy. I, in fact, I would say this week in Kentucky outside of Missouri will probably be the easiest series they've had all year in the league. So, um, and offensively, they've scored 171 runs. That's 12 behind Tennessee, which has 183. And, oh, by the way, Tennessee goes to Carolina this weekend, which is number two in runs allowed. Vanderbilt's going to play Kentucky, which has allowed 188 runs, uh, which is the third worst mark in the league. A&M's allowed 198 and Missouri 195. So, um, anyway, you, you could see those stats um, move in a more pronounced direction this weekend. Well, let's just hope that's a telling sign because uh, these boys need to get back on the field. I know they're inching to get back there tomorrow night uh, against Florida International. Who I saw where they played middle this week, so I guess there's, they're in town. Uh, they, they played MTSU and Murfreesboro this weekend, and Closing out their season, I guess, uh, with the Tuesday night game, and then Kentucky. Don't don't lose the fact that Kentucky's got something to play for. I know the eleven and sixteen of the league, and they're but they're they're uh, they're not. It's not going to be an easy one. And Rocker needs to set the tone lighter on Friday, Thursday, Friday. Get those guys, and then and 
yet a Saturday situation where they get some guys some confidence for that third spot, whoever it is. If I use 20 and 30, but this might be one of those weekends where, like, if, if you had grass, you, you quote, accidentally let the sprinklers <laughs> on overnight. Right. Uh, whoops, we can't play. Uh, That's right. May- I'd say maybe they need maybe they need to come down with a COVID outbreak, but that would uh, that would take on a life of its own. So that's right. Uh, and, that's and right. Anyway, we won't we won't go there again. All right, Chip. Uh, if people are buying a house, tell them about what you guys do and, and about the market in and around Nashville right now. Well, it's crazy still, crazy market, and uh, things are continuing to be on the seller side as far as the ledger, as far as who has the advantage right now. It's definitely seller's market. You can call it a bubble. Some people think it's a bubble, but this is not just in Nashville, Tennessee. It's all over the South. It's in Florida and even in small towns, Chattanooga. I talked to a friend of mine who who said it's going on in Memphis. Uh, there's overbidding on homes that are on the market. So in saying all that, in 2021, in May of 2021, it's, it is very important for anyone thinking of buying or selling their house to have representation, who someone who's professional, who's been down that road, who's not someone who sells one or two houses a year, but knows exactly how to handle the transaction in this hot market. And that's where we come into play with over 180 uh, agents in two offices, one in Green Hills, one in Brentwood. We have the experienced agents who can help and map out a plan for anyone in that market of buying or selling of how to price their house, for example, on the selling side, how to not price it too high, how to competitively uh, present it to sellers, how to do an open house or not do an open house, when to exactly to put it on the market. That matters. Uh, all, all those little intangibles of selling a house. And on the buy side, you literally have to be equipped with an agent who can go into a house when it pops. And we have the ability to know of sometimes houses that are coming on the market um, in advance that are called pocket listings that perhaps they don't want to put it on the multiple listing service, but they just want to see what happens if they, they would sell, if they got a certain price. And that's where we come into play that we have a, a network, a group of agents who know a lot of people and he can do that for you. So check out our website at frederickandclark.com. You can call me personally and I'll hook you up with one of our experienced agents. We've got Vanderbilt folks who are the owners of the company, Whit Clark, Steve Frederick, my brother, and myself, and uh, just some professional people who can help you on during this time that you really need someone who can go to bat for you. So that's Frederick and Clark Realty. Again, you can check us out on the web at frederickandclark.com. Chip, thanks a bunch. We'll catch you next week. See you, Chris. Have a good week. All right. He's Chip Frederick. I'm Chris Lee. Thanks for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We should have a couple more coming later this week.